The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to talk about the 2023 Austin FC schedule with our friend Seth Rao, and then we're going to discuss some player rumors. We'll also interview Brian C. Parker about an excellent article he wrote on the uh, the last couple of Austin FC seasons for Austin Monthly. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and we got to see each other yesterday, along with a lot of other people, which we do not do a very good job of counting or taking pictures of. But thanks to everybody. <laughs> thanks to the big group that joined us out uh, on the Delta Denton Donnelly Loop to hang out and sort of enjoy New Year's Day, talk soccer, and just have a good time together. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, we talked about it on the show the last few weeks, but our little New Year's Day tradition, drinking beers on the street next to the stadium. Uh, it was great turnout. Again, even more people than last year. Um, it was excellent to get to hang out and talk to everyone. Uh, we were looking around and all the construction that's going on there. I'm not entirely sure we're going to be able to do it on the street next year, but there is a, a technically a public park next to the stadium. So we'll figure out some way to, to keep it going. It might look a little different in years to come, but we'll figure out some way to make it work. Yeah, we'll be somewhere. And there was one point where you, were you standing up on a cooler? Like you stood up on I did. top. I stood on a cooler you were standing on to something. thank everybody yeah. and tell people to drink the beer in the cooler. I love it. It's like, is Landon going to make remarks? Should I have something prepared? <laughs> You're just like, no, there's beer here. Come drink beer out of the coolers and come eat pizza out of the trunk of Jeremiah's car. Uh, and the pizza was really, really good too. So shout out it to It was. Me. That was uh, Richard brought it from uh, Meteor, which is on South Congress. And it was very, very tasty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so highly encourage anybody to check out Meteor Pizza that, that, that can. And so it was just... It's great to see people and have that environment like in positive attitude. The weather is beautiful. And we've talked about this a bunch, I think, and but we can never talk about it enough. It's just that like sense of community um, that, that Austin FC's brought together. Like all those people I feel like are friends and I had never met some of them before and may never talk to them in person again, like other th- than through Twitter. But there's like a real connection that we get through this club that we all love. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, before we move on to Austin FC news, Jeremiah, I wanted to share one more quick story. That's just a weird thing that happened to me playing soccer last week. Uh, I don't know if you heard me saying this in a group yesterday. I told some people at the hangout yesterday, but I, uh, was, we were away for Christmas eating and sitting most of the time. And so came home, I wanted to go play some pickup soccer. I was excited, like plan my whole day around it. I get to the game, warm up, play for about a minute and a half and, out of nowhere, a dog runs onto the field, excited, seemingly excited by the presence of a ball and like goes for the ball a little bit and then jumps up and bites the crap out of my leg. Oh, no, no, I didn't hear this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, a dog, like I'm, I'm very comfortable with dogs. I understand they get excited and like may do a little bit of damage unintentionally sometimes. And I was like, okay, whatever. The, the dog jumped up and snapped at me or whatever. And I was just going to keep playing. And I looked down at my leg and there's like a pretty gnarly little wound on my thigh. And there's like <laughs> negative space where like, oh, my. oh wow, <laughs> like flesh was removed. And so I was like, oh, I have to stop playing soccer now and like don't do well with blood. And so had to go like lay down a little bit, but then was fine. Like it's didn't need stitches. I talked to the owner, the dog's up on its shots. It's it's like healing okay now, but it was like the weirdest little thing to happen. Uh, 
that a dog bit me while I was playing soccer. <laughs> wow. That just, that reminds me of one more thing. Hopefully there will be no dog attacks, but we're both playing at the Austin Soccer Foundation foot golf tournament on January 15th, which I assume registration is still open. It's January 15th, the, I think 10 in the morning, maybe Harvey Pinnock. They've had that for several. I think it's 9, 9 a.m. Or, or 9 a.m. This is what happens when I don't actually look <laughs> things up. But anyhow, go to Austin Soccer Foundation. Uh, I will be playing with Mike Crignola. We will be terrible. We will be setting the floor for for the whole league and you're playing with phil west i think right that's right and phil actually plays quite a bit so maybe i have a ringer on my team all right well good luck with that so if you want to come out and play we'd love to see you there it's a good cause um show up and have a good time all right let's jump into austin fc news so uh i guess most of this news is just gonna kind of be updates on previous rumors and news uh some of which involving Scandinavian center backs. Uh, do you want to uh, run us through what we've sure. been hearing the last sure. week or so? Sure. Both these articles involve Scandinavian center backs, and none of these articles are written in a language that either of us speak. So we're relying on, I guess, the Google, Google Translate version of all of these articles, Wait, correct? Quick potential <laughs> correction. I'm not sure F- Finland is considered Scandinavia. Oh. I think maybe they're Nordic, but not Scandinavian. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Center backs from cold places. Center backs from cold places, one of whom who may not love playing in a hot place. So we've heard these Ruben Gabriel Center rumors. We talked about that last week. Um, I think Arnon from Your Austin TV has posted every article that has come out about it. They continue. I mean, it seems to be like one of those where there's smoke, there's fire thing. Um there's still the question of the fact that he has a contract in Austin and what does it look like to get out of that? And is it mutual termination or, you know, what does that look like? Or there's some weird clause nobody knows about. Um, that's a, so that's one side of it. The other side of it, which I feel like that we've seen more this week about it is the Leo Weissman in rumors. Um, and that, you know, as recently as earlier today, I think this article was, that was a Swedish article, I believe. Yeah, Boris Tidning is the publication. I don't know what that means, uh, but that's who published it. <laughs> and yeah, as that was pu- published today and saying that like it's all but done is what this article is saying. So I guess my real question is, one, oh, I have two. One, do you think these are dependent upon each other? Do you think that Vice only comes in if Ruben's going out? Yeah, I mean, w- with... MLS being the salary capped league that it is like, it may not be possible to have them both. And so I would assume like if this article is correct and that the Vison and Dunn is all but done, I would imagine what that means is as soon as one thing happens, the other will happen. And so whatever's happening with Ruben Gabrielson, whether it's a transfer or a termination of contract, whatever that ends up looking like, as soon as that happens, the Vicenin rumor happens. Again, this is speculation, but that seems to be kind of the writing on the wall with, with what we're seeing. And then the other thing is, like, you've seen some... Well, obviously, we've all seen Ruben play. Like, what are, what are their differences as players? Like, are they the same kind of center back? Is there something different we would see out of Vicenin than we see out of Ruben? Like, what do you what do you think from... what I know it's a little bit limited, but what do you think from what you've seen out of him? I think Vicenin is a more similar player to Julio Cascante. Um he is I hear Brian Mangum's head exploding right now, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he's like uh that taller, like probably a little bit more slender than Julio, but also uh more athletic than Julio. I think he's faster, probably a little bit quicker. Um that being said, he's probably less athletic than 
Ruben Gabrielson. So like less, less strength, less physicality, uh, maybe like less straight, like slower straight line speed than Ruben. Um, but definitely more of that than what Julio has. So it's one of those things, like if it were, uh, if it were Vicenin playing next to Ruben Gabrielson, I would feel like that could potentially be an upgrade for Austin FC. But if it's Vicenin playing next to Julio Cascante, there might be a little too much of the the same flavor happening there that um i don't know it i feel like i i can like see some some bad situations coming out of that uh that pairing potentially so you see some more content for when playing it out of the bat goes wrong on twitter maybe with it yeah maybe cuz yeah vicen is good on the ball uh but like julio he like gets a little bit nonchalant with it sometimes and um gets caught out for it and punished sometimes so uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if that ends up being the pairing. Yeah, and then with, with Ruben's deal, uh, we're losing things in the translation, I assume. So we don't know exactly what they're talk, what people are talking about when they, like the contract being terminated or whatever. So there's two things here. So there's in MLS, the club can terminate one contract a year. Is that right? Well, no, they can buy they out. They can buy one out contract one contract a year. year. But like, if it's a mutual termination, there's no limit. Is that? Is that true? Right. Okay. Because that, yeah. that was the one thing I think I see people get a little hung up on. It's like, well, if we're only going to get like one, if we're only going to get like one player like out this year, are we going to burn that on Ruben or is it gonna, we're going to find another situation with somebody we want to send out? So if it's mutual termination, that doesn't really affect the ability to buy a player out. Right. Yeah. Because it's the player also saying like, I'm I'm going to forego any money that you owe me. And so the the buying out one contract per year is essentially in pretty much any MLS spending limit, the way you can think about it and like the way to make it make sense is there's one owner who wants to spend less money and one owner who wants to spend more money. Does this rule allow the owner who wants to spend more money to spend more money than the guy who doesn't want to spend any money? And that's how most of these rules are put in place. And so if you just bought, if you bought a bunch of players and then bought off a bunch of contracts in the summer and then brought in new players, then that would give that that team an unfair spending advantage. Whereas, uh, like mutually terminating a contract, you're no longer paying that player anymore. And so I think that's that's the way I like to look at it. I don't know if that's helpful to anybody else, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't know that there would be a limit on the termination. So we could. If if what we're seeing is is correct that they're working on a contact termination and not a transfer, that we could still potentially buy out someone else's contract if if they wanted to. So, um, yeah, that I mean, it, looking at what that means, like if they do buy out the contract or like sorry, mutually terminate the contract, I think you see that in. I mean, that's what happened with Cecilia Dominguez in a situation where uh, they club didn't really want him anymore and he didn't want to be here not playing anymore and so it worked out for him so like the you would see like a situation where players disgruntled and wanted to leave it doesn't seem to be the case with with Ruben necessarily if there's something else going on personal reasons that he wants to go back closer to home maybe the club does him a solid and says like okay yeah we'll let you go even though like you still owe us a year or two on your contract and we should be able to get some money for you if you leave um, because you've been a good soldier. We're going to do you a solid and let you go for free. Yeah. That's the only way that this makes sense for Austin is like looking at it and 
the bigger context of being a place that people want to come and play and, you know, having this reputation of sort of being a player's club is it if there is something going on, right? And they're like, you know what? We're not going to hold, you know, we're going to make a concession even though we don't have to in order to help meet the, meet the needs of a player. Like you would hope that that would help Austin with future players. Yeah. Because um, otherwise I don't see Austin's motivation really to make this deal Right, happen. yeah. I mean, it's like, it seems like um, if that were the case, like, uh, I don't know, like a, a good thing to do like on a humanistic level, but pretty bad business move honestly like because he was a good player it has some value and if we he leaves for free it, it puts austin in a tight spot yeah well, let's talk about one other center back also correct and i'm gonna make you uh go with a name this time because i butchered like the last last time we had to come up with a player name kind of screwed it up so let's talk about this one yeah so hassan kurasai i'll go with uh if again we'll get into this but if if there's more smoke with this rumor I promise I'll learn how to say his name correctly. <laughs> uh, but we're going to go for Hassan Kurasai right now, which is um, a Turkish name. He He's a Turkish is player. He's listed as a Turkish national, but I was reading about him. He's actually born in Denmark and oh, wow. seemingly raised in Denmark. So the fir- I was Googling him the other day, and the first thing that popped up was this video, and I clicked on it. It was an interview, and I was thinking, okay, like a, Tur- a Turkish guy playing in – in Norway, maybe this interview will be in English and it'll be, I'll be able to understand what he's saying. And I turn it on. I was like, I think he's speaking Norwegian. <laughs> and then I like did some research. I was like, Oh, like he's from Denmark actually. And so which I think those two languages are pretty similar. And so, uh, yeah, born in Denmark, played most of his life in Denmark. And I think he played in Turkey for one year when he was like 20, but, um, but since then has played in Denmark and then in Norway and has been really good in Norway the last year or two. So what do we know about him as a player from what we've seen? I guess let's, we could talk about the article. So we've we've seen um, one article of this rumor. This is from December 27th and not a lot uh, before or since then. So this may be just us talking about a player we know nothing about for no reason, but it's it's worth exploring. Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple of articles online right now from a couple of different publications, but essentially saying that um, he impressed in Norway this year. This is his first season in the Norwegian top flight before last year, he's playing in the second division. Uh, and so really impressed for like seemingly not a great team, like a newly promoted team that finished pretty low in the table. And so some of the bigger clubs are coming after him also getting attention from abroad and Austin FC is specifically mentioned as a team that's looking for him. So, uh, we can get into this a little bit later, whether or not like we could potentially get both he and Vison in. But as far as what kind of player he is, I would say Kurosai is is more similar to Ruben Gabrielson as far as uh, physical build, playing style. Um, in uh, another interesting thing about him moving around, I I also read another interview where he was saying that he got a lot of cards as a youth player, a lot of yellows and reds as a youth player. And kind of that reputation kind of stuck with him in Denmark and he didn't feel like he was getting a fair shot in Denmark. And so he he and his agent decided like, I'm going to leave the country and start new and get some new eyes on me. And they went to Norway and he's, he's been doing really well in Norway. And the funny thing is like, he didn't get that many cards in Denmark as a professional. He's still not gotten many cards in Norway as a professional. And so it it really does seem like it was like a bad reputation he got as a youth player that he couldn't seem to shake. But um, as far as playing style, I think he's listed as six foot one, 
He's probably a little less beefy than Ruben, but looks like he's maybe a little bit quicker and a little bit lighter on his feet than Ruben also. Um, he's really good on the ball. You can see some highlight highlight uh, tapes on YouTube, and it's almost all of him playing long diagonals, him dribbling people, him uh, scoring bangers on set pieces. So he seems to take a lot of set pieces as well, which is interesting from a center back. But um, it's like it, it's important to remember when watching – uh, like highlight stuff that like this is a lower level than MLS. And so a guy who's only played one season in the first division in Norway, which is a lower level in MLS. And so like, is his defensive positioning good enough? Is his decision-making good enough to replace a guy like Ruben Gabrielson? And like, they're not showing defensive errors in these highlight reels. Like they're not going to show that part. And so, uh, if, if there is more smoke from this rumor, I will not only learn how to properly pronounce his name, but I'll, I'll dive in and watch some more video and see if this guy can actually defend on top of scoring bangers from set pieces. Well, so this leads to the other question. Do you think these are two parallel deals? This, this and one vice then these two parallel deal, deals we're working on. Is this like an either or thing or is the potential we bring both in? We've talked about a preference for upgrading the back line. And I feel like Ruben out and one guy in, whoever he might be, uh, is not an upgrade, especially if it ends up being Kurosai and not Weissman. But like, what do you, what do you, what do you see there? We've got, it's counting international spots. I think we could make both these deals happen with Ruben out. That would get us down to six. So these two would put us back up to eight. So like, that's a possibility, but like, what, what do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be a money thing, right? So, the that article we mentioned about Vicenin says that the transfer fee would be just under two million dollars. Uh, if that were the case, like we're gonna we're putting a lot of resources into a center back at that point, depending on how much money um Kurosai would demand. Like, I don't like is that like is that is there space for that still? He is out of contract, and so it would be a free transfer which would be helpful to that. So maybe it would be possible, but if I had to bet if like if one or both of these guys were going to come, I would guess one. Like one is the backup plan for the other, but it would be really cool if if both of them did come cuz I I'm kind of excited about both of them at this point. <laughs> Let's talk about one more player uh before we get into the schedule discussion with Seth. And that is Clement Diop, who I think was somebody we talked about 2 years ago. Yeah, on uh, an expansion draft episode with the Chris's. Uh, and why do we think that he's possibly a backup keeper option for Austin? <laughs> so Derek Ensign pointed out that he has been liking uh, our posts, like Moon Tower Soccer and Los Verdes posts on Instagram. <laughs> and he does not he does not follow Los Verdes. He does not follow Moon Tower Soccer, uh, but was looking at those posts for some reason. And so one would guess like he's going out and looking for those for some reason uh he is out of contract correct yes so he would be a free agent it, like as far as the profile of guys you would want to bring in as a second keeper like he's perfect he's a guy who started in this league for several years um is not an upgrade or probably not even going to compete for the number one spot but we'll be happy to come in and get some like cup matches, step in if there's an injury and keep collecting a paycheck in the league. Like 
I, I think that would be a great get for Austin FC if we can get Diop as our backup. Yeah, and he was a supplemental roster player, I believe, last year. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. So, yeah. That, yeah, so awesome. I, I, that would also – I've had this conversation with a few people recently about Damian Loss. I think a lot of people, just because he's a young – like a young guy, we actually paid money to bring in um, – a lot of people would like to see Damian Loss as the backup, but if you're looking at like what's actually best for Damian Loss, young players need to get minutes. I think especially goalkeepers need to get minutes. And so, although like being the second, like the number two on the depth chart might be the higher status, like the higher reputation thing to do, I think what would actually be best for Damian Loss is to go play 2,500 minutes on the MLS Next Pro Team this season, and then bring in someone exactly like Clement Diop, like that's the profile you're looking for to bring in and come sit on the bench right now. Um, so I, I, yeah, I kind of hope this one, this one happens. Hopefully, uh, those, those likes on Instagram mean something. Well, you have a history of this, right? Like didn't, uh, didn't, uh, Brad Stuber's mom like all your tweets like months before, <laughs> before I he think, was, um, or was I somebody think his else? wife, his wife oh, his started wife. following okay. me. Yeah. 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 Before, before he, like months before he signed. <laughs> so maybe that's a harbinger of things to come for future goalkeepers. <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Let's find out what uh, Clement Diop's wife and mother are named, and see if they follow anybody in Austin. <laughs> please don't, please don't stalk Clement Diop's wife and mother. Anybody listening? <laughs> Public service announcement. All right. <laughs> Anything else, Jeremiah? Before we move on? No, let's go ahead and move on. All right, cool. Uh, we're gonna later on in the show we'll get to that interview with Brian C. Parker, but first we're gonna go to a quick interview with Seth Rao. Uh, Seth is. Involved in planning away days for the supporters groups, does an excellent job. He's also just like one of these people who just like knows everything and has an answer to every question. And so we thought he'd be a good person to talk to about the recently released uh, Austin FC schedule. So we'll talk to him for a few minutes. He'll kind of go through all of the uh, uh, the weird stuff and interesting stuff happening in the schedule this year. And then after that, we'll go on to the interview with Brian. So hang tight. We'll be right back. All right, we are excited to be joined by Seth Rao. Seth is very involved in uh, supporter culture, specifically planning away days and probably lots of other stuff. Is also just uh, a guy who seems to have an answer for every question. So, uh, Seth, thanks for joining us. Schedule stuff, especially. This is, I was telling Jeremiah off mic that this kind of information, like I read it and it just like passes straight through my brain and I forget it all instantly. It's like dates, how many times we do whatever, like I cannot remember any of it. And so we're going to lean on you for that one. Uh, We were planning on doing this two weeks ago, but MLS released the schedule a day after we were, no, a week after we were expecting it to. So uh, thanks for rescheduling with us and, and coming on the show. Always happy to be flexible because you never know what's going to come out of the league offices, and we just got to be prepared for everything. There were a couple, um, couple surprises with the schedule as well. So let's, I mean, let's start with maybe you know your story. You aren't even an Austin guy now, so you've like, we're in Austin, jumped into Austin supporters culture, jumped into what seems to be like the awful pain of arranging logistics for you know away trips, uh, which those of us who have gone on those really appreciate. But like, how did you? How did this become your thing? 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a really funny thing to um, to start with my story here. So I'm actually, I live in Chicago. I um, grew up in Cincinnati. Like, this is like, I'm not the logical person to be doing this. I'll be the very first one to admit that. But I was uh, living in Austin as Austin FC was being formed. Wasn't super active in the initial, like, I wasn't there at City Hall days. I was living in the area and was aware of what's going on. Became a, signed up for season tickets, actually, that aren't too far from Landon's. I still have my season tickets that are being used by other people because I don't want to give up season tickets. Because why would you give up season tickets at this point? Um, but it was, was teetering around the edge. But I've been a soccer fan almost my entire life. I played a bit uh, growing up. But by the time I was in high school, there were other kids taller than me. So I wasn't a goalie anymore. Um, and that was the end of my soccer playing days for the most part. Um, but then, yeah, um, been to games all over the world, traveled a bunch. And as the team was coming to information here, it's like I got connected with some of the people in Anthem, some of the people in Los Verdes. And they're like, you've traveled to a bunch of places. You can help us with some stuff here. And I was like, yeah, I've planned every family vacation I've been on since I was 11 years old. What, what, how hard would it be to plan 50, 100 people going on the road? Then suddenly we're taking 350 people to Colorado in the middle of a pandemic in April of 2021. And we're like, oh, wow, this is what it's really like. And we learned some things on the fly, but we've made it work. And we've, uh, I feel, feel like for the most part, uh, for people who've been on away trips, that we've gotten better at this. We've had some, definitely some lessons learned in the process here, but we want to make it as smooth as possible for anyone. So it doesn't matter if you're in an official supporters group or just an Austin FC fan who lives in Seattle or who's like, hey, I'm going to be skiing in Park City. Let me go to the, the Real Salt Lake game on March 11th. Like we want to make this as approachable to the people who are the diehards who live by live and die by every last Twitter and Slack rumor, but also to the average family who just wants to see Austin FC play a match on the road. We want to be as inclusive and welcoming to everyone. I think you and uh, you and Katie and Sign and everyone else who has helped with away travel has y'all have done a fantastic job. The the few out of state trips I've gone on have been very well run, and I think you've achieved what you're saying where. I'll I'll go and not just see familiar faces, but meet a bunch of new people who aren't very involved with supporters groups and just found out about it, signed up, went on the trip, and we're joining in on all the activities that you guys planned. And so, uh, yeah, you, you guys do a fantastic job. Um, yeah, th thank you for that. And I'll say one of the things I'm really proud of is we've had away fans at all at every single away match that we've had in the first two years, and that's not a guarantee in this league. I mean, there's a lot of games that are two, three thousand miles away from home. I mean, we had. 30 plus people in Montreal weekend of formula one last year. Like we've had some difficult and expensive away days. And we're always trying to look to make the process more affordable and things that we can improve upon. And I feel like most people who are probably listening know how to reach out to either of you or indirectly to me. And we're always looking for ways to make the experience more inclusive so that we can continue to build a really strong culture. Let's maybe, so jump. Oh, I was going to say, jump. Go yeah, we're probably going to the same place. Let's jump into the 20. Before we go into the question that we got the most yesterday, which was, what are the fun trips going to be? Let's just talk about maybe the schedule overall. So Austin starts at home against St. Louis, which will be St. Louis's first match. Montreal goes away uh, Saturday, March 11th at Real Salt Lake. But pause, pause there. We likely go away to the Dominican Republic to play oh, very, on a Tuesday, which is one of the most absurd road trips I think 
maybe even in MLS history, to go play <laughs> at home on Saturday, have a 72-hour turnaround to go to the Dominican Republic in a tropical environment at sea level, and then fly 2,700 miles away four days later to play a match at 4,500 feet in suburban Salt Lake City. Like, that is an absurd... I mean, there's a possibility that that match in the Dominican Republic doesn't happen, but if it does happen, that is the hardest away trip that Austin FC has ever done. Do you think... What, what does that lineup look like? Do you think... I have this question for both y'all. Like, does Austin prioritize, like, healthy bodies in that trip, or do you play a best 11? Like, what does that look like? So I, I think for... it's in, I, I've been asked this a number of times already. I think in the Violette match, you probably play a lineup that looks similar to what the U.S. Open Cup look... Uh, uh, U.S. Open Cup lineup looked like from last year, especially because it's a two-leg tie. So even if you get a draw down there, even if you lose 1-0 or 2-1 down in the Dominican Republic, knowing that you have to come back to Austin, you can always play your best 11 and have a decisive victory at home, especially because Austin will be hosting the second leg at home. So there is less of a risk out there. I think for the remaining CCL matches, you prioritize the CCL matches, especially assuming Austin gets past Violette in the first round and you're playing against Mexican opponents. There's more revenue on the line. There's more prestige on the line. I think you actually prioritize CCL over MLS if you get to April and May into the quarterfinals and beyond of the tournament. But then again, I'm not Josh Wolf here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, um, a very plausible scenario where I, especially the Violet one, I mean, it is a team that Austin FC should, I say should easily beat. uh, with all of the adversity that they're gonna have to face to get there that you just described. Like maybe it's not going to be as easy as, as we think it's going to be, but I think you're right. Like, I don't think they're going to roll out the Academy team against Violet, but they'll probably rotate some, play some of the more fit guys in that game. And then. Uh, if needed, they can play a stronger lineup. But yeah, I agree. I, I think as we get in, if we get into the later rounds playing the stronger competition, I think I think they'll go for it. Well, so let's talk about the difference between okay, the schedule changes every year and some of it's pandemic-y and some not. But like the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference split and this weird thing, we're going to play a couple teams three times. Yeah, so how that's going to work is, so this year St. Louis City comes into the league. So with St. Louis City coming into the league, they are joining the West. So we have a home and away with St. Louis that starts on the opening match, which I was actually a little disappointed that I didn't get national TV coverage for that. You would think that St. Louis, a big soccer city, would get that onto Big Fox, but... Okay, I guess it's just going to be a regular 7.30 match, which is fine as well. Um, but then, And then we go there in August. Nashville moves back to the East, and we do not play Nashville this year. So that since the West has 14 teams and the East has 15 teams, that in the East it's a logical – Okay, you have to play 14 other teams twice. That's 28 games. Every team in the East is playing six teams from the West. 15 times six is 90. That means that they had to split up the 90 games against Eastern East-West opponents between the 14 Western teams. So some of them are playing seven teams from the East and some are playing six teams from the East. We ended up getting a lineup, a setup where we are playing at Houston twice and hosting Dallas twice, which is the inverse of the 2021 pandemics schedule so and then everybody else so that's how everybody else in the west twice yeah. dallas and houston three times and six eastern conference is that right six eastern conference games so what i was when I, I mentioned earlier on about curveballs i was fully expecting there to be six eastern okay there's 15 teams in the east we played eight teams in the east last year and since nashville was in the west we played them twice okay 
we played nine teams. We haven't played six of those teams last year. We should go play those six teams. That would be the logical thing to assume. And I thought that they would send Austin up to Columbus that we would have and play the remaining five teams. Of the remaining five teams, we are going to New England Labor Day weekend. And we, um, Toronto does come here, come to Austin in May. But Chicago, Philly, and NYCFC are not on this schedule, which is kind of crazy that unless we were to play them in League's Cup or U.S. Open Cup, we'll have gone three years in the league without playing three other teams in MLS. That's never happened before. Yeah, it's really strange. I, I mean, as as an Ohio guy, are you disappointed that we're not going to Columbus and we oh, haven't yeah, gone no, there I was yet? Ab- so it's funny. So over, I had a, a little bit of time over Thanksgiving and part of my job in coordinating away travel is that I work with the away front offices to make sure that we get our ticket allocations, that we get reasonable prices, working on instrument policies, things like that. So I do a lot of that type of negotiating with the um, visiting front offices. I had a very long and actually kind of funny email drafted to the Columbus front office ready to go. <laughs> like I grew up a Columbus crew fan. I grew up in Ohio. Like there was no FC Cincinnati at the time. There I was like, okay, like I had everything ready to go out. Like we had a bus plan. I pretty much had a hotel plan. Obviously, it depended the weekends and all that kind of stuff. Um, was completely ready to do it, and was uh, then the crew schedule leaked um, before everyone else did. So we had it. We saw that we weren't playing. Though I was like, oh gosh, we're gonna have some weird twists and turns in this. And then we were right that we did have some strange twists and turns. But I do hope we go there in 2024. That match needs to happen at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. It does it's at some point. So let's um Oh, I, I well, we'll go one of the things. One of my favorite emails I saw from you arranging stuff at the front office was after the Paul UFC incident in DC where you had what what is it now? You have to arrange for one inflatable chicken to be uh to be yes, a- I, I, yes i do yes we have to polio is an exempt item under league policy because polio is deemed as an inflatable and that we have to provide pictures and evidence it's interesting to be lafc is very their front office is very instagram savvy and knew about polio before i made the request for other teams <laughs> i had some long conversations with minnesota and kansas city um, multiple emails back and forth, elevating it at the front office. We even had to get the league office involved once. Like, kind of crazy to get Poyo into matches, but we now know what photos of Poyo we'll use. And for some of the for the new teams that we'll be going to in the East this year, to Miami, to the Red Bulls, and to New England, I'll have the pictures ready to go, and we'll go from there. <laughs> We're going to make sure Don Garber knows who Poyo is by the end of this season. I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't gotten a picture of Don Garber and Polio yet. I, I don't think I've seen that. It's 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 around this, the corner for sure. This year, let's make it happen, Trevor. Yeah. So what? Let's before we wrap up. Like, what do you think the big away matches for 2023 will be? Because that's the question yesterday at the tailgate. Everybody asked Landon and I both. Like, where are you going to? What are you going to? We're both like, well, I don't know. Probably not going to uh, Red Bulls on Wednesday because like that would be a weird time to take my kid out of school. But like, what what do you see when you look at what this season holds? Where yeah. people are going to go? Yeah, so this schedule is weird. I think that there's what the schedule says now and then also where things are there. I think the big attraction this year is going to be CONCACAF Champions League. And yes, those are midweek matches. And you might have to take your, your – you might have to be like, hey, daddy's going away for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um, if we end up in um, playing Club Leon or Taro in the second round or a match potentially in the semifinals against a team like Pachuca or Tigres, we're going to have hundreds of people that want to go to those matches because getting – it's very rare as an MLS team to get to play – away at a Liga MX East venue 
in a hostile environment, in a top-notch environment. And fans are going to want to experience that because you have no idea the next time that that's going to come around. I mean, I hope that Leagues Cup will move to hosting matches in both the U.S. and Mexico in the future. But for this year, it's only in the U.S. And getting to play against a top Mexican team in a full stadium on the road is something that would be a really cool experience. Um, In terms of the MLS schedule, I think the – July 1st trip to Inter-Miami, which is really to suburban Fort Lauderdale, um, is going to be a highlight because the way they set up, we could base out of Miami. They have a train and a bus combo that runs up there, and we've already started working on some of those logistics. So I think we'll have a lot of people that want to go to that. Yeah, Messi won't be in Miami at that point, but I still think that there will be uh, hundreds that want to go to that match, and it's a stadium where it's usually not hard to get tickets to. Um New England is a logical one that a lot of people would want to go to, but Labor Day weekend is the weekend that all the college kids move in in the Boston area. And as someone who went to college in the Boston area knows that that is probably the most expensive weekend behind college graduation weekend for staying in the Boston area. So that's going to be, I'm sure we'll get some there, but that's going to be challenging to work through. Um, I also think at a certain point, we're just going to have to decide on a few big matches, like people like going to Colorado. We play at Colorado end of September on a Saturday. That will probably be a popular one. I wouldn't be surprised, especially if we do make a run in CCL, that the San Jose match becomes a pivotal match for making the playoffs or for seeding at the end of the season. And we have not brought a big group to San Jose the first two years. And our San Jose matches have been chaotic. Um, We still haven't beaten them. Um, so I think that there's I, I could see that one turning into a bigger match. And then obviously we go to Houston twice. We go to Dallas. We could also have a U.S. Open Cup run. We get a bye to the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. Those would be midweek matches, but I could see, I mean, that was our, I think that was actually our largest away trip last year was to San Antonio, even though it was a Wednesday night, because it was, I mean, there were what, 500 people in that official section, but there were probably 2000 people in Verde at Toyota Field. Like that's such an easy trip. And it's funny to me to think about like, I don't know. I have friends who are not that big into soccer who are watching like, welcome to Wrexham. And they're like, Wrexham bring, they're in the. National League, and they can bring a thousand people on the road. And I'm like, yeah, because they're going an hour or two hours away. If all of our trips were in Texas, like if our furthest trip was El Paso, yeah, we would have a thousand fans on the road at every match. It just gets prohibitively expensive and time consuming and other things um, to have really large away trips in the MLS just due to the vast size in North America. So yeah, so so to, so to, so to, so to answer, answer your question there, I think Inter Miami is going to be a big away trip, and then I think it's just stay tuned and be prepared to travel if we start moving on in some of these tournaments. All right, well, Seth, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, go through the schedule with us. Um, and again, once again, thanks for all the work you do on away travel and everything. Uh, anybody who's listening who hasn't been on an away day and would like to. Uh, reach out to us, reach out to someone in, that you know in the supporters group. We'll be happy to, to connect you with the right links to, to get any of that sorted out. But they do a great job and make it a really good experience. Yeah, we're always here to help answer any questions. There are no stupid questions in this. And we want to be as warm and welcoming to everyone as we can be. And we'd love to see you on the road this year. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Seth. Our soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Property Group. If you or someone you know are in need of Sage Real Estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. You can find them online at sagewilson.com. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I got their um, 
end of year email newsletter. A couple, like I guess last week, right? So at some point during the dead time between Christmas and New Year's Eve, and they had a good year. They did a lot of stuff. It was really good. <laughs> I don't remember all the things, but there was it was really cool. There's a lot of soccer stuff. There's a lot of being helpful to people things. A lot of community things. Check out FBF Law. You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we want to thank Seth one more time for joining us. Now we are going to go to that interview with Brian C. Parker. Brian is an excellent writer, also very talented in, in many other ways that we'll get into uh, in this interview. Um, but definitely check out this article. I think after hearing Brian talk about it, you're going to want to, but it should be on newsstands now. All right. We are thrilled to be joined by the associate editor at Austin monthly. He is also a very wonderful writer, wonderful photographer, a hat collector, and a friend of the show, Brian C. Parker. Brian, thanks for joining us again, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Very happy to be here. So you just uh, published, I guess, online, got to publish the online version of this story. And then when is the uh, the print version going to be available? Yeah, the print version should be on newsstands now. Uh, the issue usually comes out. Uh, this is technically the January, February issue. And it usually okay. comes out like the last week of the, the month prior. So um, I don't think the holidays slowed it down. I asked at work and they said no. So theoretically, <laughs> uh, this issue of Austin Monthly is on newsstands now at HEB, Central Market, places like that. All right. So to give listeners uh, an idea of what we're actually talking about, this is a, a big feature uh, in Austin Monthly about Austin FC's first two seasons. And so tell us a little bit about what this story is and what you were hoping to achieve with it. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I've been I've been covering the team in some capacity, paying attention to the team since well before they played their first match. Um, and upon the early success of this season, when even when the team started strong, it was clear that they were, you know, making a statement as far as, uh, you know, different performance on the pitch uh, compared to season one. So pretty early on in the season, we knew we were going to do something in depth and and thorough on how this season went. Um, and, and so we knew that, and I was attending a lot of the matches, covering a lot of the matches and just kind of collecting information. I, I ran a few stories, uh, smaller stories along the way. Uh, like there was the pivotal LAFC match. I ran a little story about that, but mostly it was collecting information for this big feature down the line. Um, the team made it kind of difficult to fit all into one story by making an incredibly deep playoff run. Um, so I, we knew it was going to be, wow, this team, you know, looks a lot different in season two. But it ended up being not only that, but how did this happen and, you know, uh, the playoff run itself. And so it was a lot to fit into into a six page feature. But um, we we did what we could. <laughs> so what about like you? It's, I think everybody's got a different story about how they came to soccer. And I think Landon and I came pretty late to the game as far as like growing up in rural Texas. And I don't know, playing like a year as a kid and then not, you know, do anything else. Like how about talk about your love, of the support and maybe sport and maybe how, you know, it's evolved over this time that Austin FC's been a club. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it has been great to have a team here, a local team. I, I think one thing that Austin FC has done is really galvanize the city in a way and, and provide, um, you know, this major league professional uh, franchise for everyone to, to get behind. That's been a beautiful part of this. 
Um, you know, I, like you, I played, uh, when I was a very young kid and baseball was mostly my little, my sport when I was in little league and stuff and then tennis, um, in high school. So I did not play soccer in high school or when I was older, um, I followed, you know, runs when they were, uh, national teams, the men's and women's national team, when they were, um, you know, making deep runs or something like that, I would pay attention, but definitely a casual, um, but, uh, with Austin FC coming, coming here, I mean, I, I knew from day one that I was going to be a supporter because I'm, I'm just, I'm a sports guy kind of, no matter what the sport is. Um, and so, uh, I was invested from the beginning and, and from, I always at the first match wanted to be in attendance for that. And before, um, before the team ever played, I wrote a Texas monthly story and came on here and talked to you guys about it. And, you know, kind of paying attention to, um, the, what made this, this market so ripe for a team at that point. Um, I feel like in some ways, uh, that was kind of a setup for what's going to happen with this team. And I was really thrilled to write this story, which ended up kind of being like, how have they delivered on that promise? Um, everyone was so hyped with them coming in. Um, but just generally, I think to speak to your part about how I've fallen in love with the sport, um, I have become completely enamored with, with soccer. Um, and I'm still, uh, you know, a ways behind you guys, who know, so much about uh, technical aspects of the game. And I get a little lost in, in formations and, and particular, um, you know, defensive schemes or offensive schemes or whatever, but, um, but just in, in general, watching the sport, I, I've really become, you know, enamored with the, the pace of it. And, uh, I, I, for one, love the pace of it. I know there's been a lot of kind of complaining about that in the last couple of, uh, months. And when we, when we've seen the national team, you know, kind of in the spotlight, there's been a little bit of pushback against the pace of soccer. I think it's great. Um, I, I think there's always something going on and, and I think that, you know, it's a, called the beautiful game for a reason. So I've certainly been enamored by that. I think I'm lucky to be around people though, that, that can see the game and explain it to me though, like you, you guys and Phil West and, and Chris Bills and other people who just, uh, I've been able to be next to in the press box and, that's a benefit that not everyone has. I'm aware of that. So maybe it was a quick learning curve for me sort of, um, you know, becoming attached to it and really being a, a big fan. Brian is being humble here listeners. Cause I've <laughs> talked to him about soccer and he's, uh, it, it's been really impressive to see how much you've learned just in the last two years and like the things you see. But I think having read a fair amount of your work at this point, one thing that you are very, very skillful at doing is, uh, being pointed towards a subject and ingesting as much information as you can about that subject and then putting it into like a digestible package for a general public. And you're very, very good at that. And there's a, a paragraph in this story about Austin FC that when I read it, I was like, my God, that's like the best description of how soccer works I've ever read. And it's like, I think it's two sentences three sentences and it's perfect. So I'm going to read that real quick. So our listeners can hear that, but it says fundamentally soccer is about creating an opportunity and capitalizing on it. It's about timing. Everything must come together and it requires a larger vision to predict how a situation will unfold, read it correctly and show up on cue. If you're simply waiting for the ball to arrive, the moment has already passed you by. And so like looking back at your career as uh, as a, a music writer about writing about everything under the sun. Like I just really love that, that paragraph there explaining how soccer works. And it's, I don't know, endlessly impressive to me that you were able to, to have a, as much of an understanding as you do to write that having not really been a soccer fan for the, all that long. 
Well, I appreciate the very kind words. Um, I, I, um, I think that it is a big picture of you, though. I mean, I think that's the thing I'm impressed listening to this show when when you uh, the technical knowledge far surpasses anything that I'm capable of right now. But that is what I'm looking at as a big picture. But that's that's the thing that jumps out to me. I mean, I think sports ultimately are kind of metaphors for life. I mean, that's why I like all sports, um, you know, and and I think that the thing that jumps out about soccer is that that it is about this sort of uh, chem- immediate chemistry in the moment, creating a moment and and timing. Yeah. And and I think with this story, one of the most fascinating things, too, is how much we've seen the club really execute well in that same way. Uh, that, that was an early realization for me writing this story and something I tried to set up through this story was how much the club is doing that as well. Um, even going back to that first story I wrote about the team, just looking at how they saw what was happening in Austin and were capable of realizing it's really ripe here. I mean, from the, the you know, market, uh, the market size during World Cup, um, recognizing that Austin had, you know, one of the largest uh, audiences available. The fact that um, there was a large contingent of here already already interested in sports, but without really an allegiance to a team, um, money capable of supporting it with new large companies coming into town. There were these factors that were right for it. And so you, you kind of have the same thing on the pitch, right? You got to have people in the right place at the right time to make it work. Um, and, and that's what, you know, I has been enjoyable to me about soccer at the, these two years, really following it closely, um, is seeing, seeing, uh, our players put together, um, you know, formations that make this happen. Um, and I get lost in it, but I'm just, I'm watching, I'm, I'm ball watching a little bit, but I'm, <laughs> I'm the person who the moment has missed. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm aware of the fact that you have to have that sort of foresight. That's something I talk about uh, with Drew C in the, in the story. And obviously, you know, answering the question of how Austin FC did so well, the second season, Drew C is a big part of that. So, um, yeah. That, yeah. That's where I was going to go next. Like I think that players obviously made the biggest difference, especially when you look at Austin, didn't add a lot of um, talent during the off season. So you had the chance to talk to him, um, got some really good insight about it. So maybe just expand on what, what you, the most interesting things you learned from talking to Sebastian Drews about the way he plays, because I thought that was a super interesting, interesting part of the article, too. Yeah, I mean, Driussi was the first thing out of many people's mouths when I sort of did interviews and, and talked to people, um, you know, and it's clear that he was the difference maker, right? We're talking about an MVP candidate. We're talking about, uh, you know, a guy who who was second in goals in the league. I mean, he obviously made a huge difference, um, and everyone can tell that. Um, but, but I was impressed with how much people praised him, you know, from, I also interviewed, you know, Brad Stuber and, and other players who immediately talked about, um, Drew C and, and what a great teammate he was. But, um, one of the things that is in the story, but, uh, Sebastian brought up this, uh, this, um, he, he said neuroscientist and this was in translation. So, um, uh, neuro, neuro I mean, I heard the, him say that word. I just, and I was like, you know, asking if it was a team psychologist and and he was like, no, it's, you know, it's neuroscience. So I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with this. If this is something in the soccer world that I don't know about, I, I don't know about this in other sports, but, um, according to him, River Plate had, you know, this neuroscientist that consulted with the team. And this is something that he, that they talked about and practiced in terms of, awareness on the pitch and and foresight and knowing what's going to happen a play or two down the line. Um, and so he talked about that a bit. And that's something that uh, Claudio echoed when I, when I interviewed Claudio, he talked about his ability to see, you know, two or three plays later, um, you know, be ahead, a step ahead of everyone, basically. Um, so that was certainly really impressive, but 
you know, that something that didn't make it in the article that that I think is is important is just how calm he is. Uh, this is something that there were other edits. I mean, this story is about 2,800 words, 2,700 words, I think. And the first edit was like, you know, 3,700 words. So, you know, there's a lot. And, and even then I felt like I was holding back. So um, one of the things that didn't make it into the story was how calm he is, I, I think, off the pitch and on the pitch. And I think, you know, I'm I'm sort of psychoanalyzing a little bit. You're right. He didn't say this, but I think that helps his... Um, you know, his ability to make those reads is to to not overreact to really anything. Um, he's so collected and calm in the moment. And you can tell that. Um, but I think that also spills over into the locker room. It's not just on the pitch, right? And you we got a glimpse at that at that video where he's leaving the game ball in the uh, I think the first playoff win, right? Leaving the game ball. I'm just going off memory. So if I'm wrong about that, someone correct me. You guys probably know, but there's a video where he was leaving the game ball in the locker room. And um I, I think that calm that poise um even keel demeanor is really important both on and off the pitch and had a lot to do with success this year you mentioned in the article as well the lack of overreaction and kind of the foresight of the front office as well in uh in building this team can you elaborate a little bit on on those points yeah and that's something that i love y'all's podcast about tam and gam and all the nerdy stuff because i i was just marveling at that recently um, in, I think your, maybe your super draft analysis, but any, anyway, I think that stuff's really important that, and that's lost on the public. A lot of times, you know, they're like, why don't we just do this? Or why don't we get a player like this? But roster construction is very difficult. You know, you can make a mistake financially or invest in something that costs you two, three, four seasons later. That's really tough stuff. Um, I know most fans probably weren't thrilled with the first season results, although impressively i thought they to their credit they kept showing up and recognized that it's a work in progress this is season one um but i i think the team has done a great job of not really overreacting i mean they played the entire first year pretty much without a striker or i think the first really the entire first year without a true striker um yeah. and and they didn't overreact they were like well this is what it is for now you know we're not going to make a panic purchase and i think that that's smart um, it's a little corny, but in, in Matthew McConaughey's thing, it's like, it's a hundred year war. Isn't that, hasn't that been his, that's, that's very corny, but <laughs> yeah. it's okay. It's a good philosophy overall. Yeah. It's, it is funny though, because I, I feel like that that's a McConaughey-esque thing is to be pretty corny, but actually kind of right sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that the team is aware of that, you know, everybody that I've talked with in the front office seems very aware of the fact that it's, they're in it for the long haul. Um, I was thinking today, I went back to this interview, um, because I actually meant to find it and maybe put it in the story and see if it had a place. And I forgot <laughs> it never got back to it. But one of the first interviews I ever did for this, um, uh, James Ruth is in the marketing department. And that story was really all about how the team had marketed themselves um, without ever playing a match. And one of the first things James talked about was clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid not because, you know, he was saying we want to to play as well as them, which I, of course, every club would aspire to that. But because I think Austin has an idea of um, being associated with the sport in the region and being associated with the sport in MLS um, and, and sort of staking a claim to something where when you think of Austin, you think of Austin FC or when you think of MLS, you think of Austin FC. And that's really a, a battle that's won on the pitch to some degree, and they proved they could do that, that this year. But it's also a battle that is won 
in marketing campaigns and with ethos and with how you respond to your fans and you know how you build fan culture. And so um, I think that's that's an interesting uh, parallel to all of this is that I think it's they're on a mission to make sure that Austin is a, is a soccer city. And another phrase that kind of gets thrown around a lot, but I, I think people are starting to believe that, you know, that, that it really is a soccer city and people come here for soccer and think about it as synonymous with soccer. Well, I, I love him and I know he listens. So, but I know that you using the word ethos means that you definitely talk to James Ruth. Cause I feel like every <laughs> single conversation I've ever had with James, that word has come up. And I just wanted to lay that comment out there. One other I think key player in this development that you talked about was Josh Wolf. Like maybe you talk about his development from year one to year two. I think that's a really interesting part of the story. Me too. too. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. And and I completely agree with you. I, I And I, I think this is something that Josh and Claudio talked around very carefully. And, and I don't mean that in any sort of bad way, but, but I think that, and I think it's true. It was, it's nuanced. I don't think they were hiding anything necessarily. I think it was probably a careful calculated, um, you know, evolution here. Um, I think they believe in Wolf's ability, and I think he showed that he can get it done in in the second season. So, you know, proofs in the pudding. But but I, I do think that there were some conversations about you know needing to balance uh, the the play style a little bit. Um, and I think that Josh alluded to that in conversations. Claudio alluded to that in conversations. That this is something they were very aware of heading into season two. And, and I think it's something that Wolf spent time with um, personally and thought about. What are we going to do? Where, how are we going to make these changes in terms of, um, as he he said to me, you know, it not costing us so much when we make a, a, a small mistake. You know, you you make one mistake near the back line, it shouldn't cost you everything, um, and that's what was happening. And so this is something they talked about a lot, and I think that that Wolf's attention to that and and his focus on that certainly was a huge part of of the turnaround and success this year. Um, but his his um, optimism is unparalleled. And I mean, it's very impressive and, and he means it. He's sincere. I think that you get that with coaches all the time, you know, that we want the best and we're going to do the best. Um, of, of course, what are they going to say? You know, um, they're not going to come out and say, well, I think we might lose this week. You know, So they're going to put their best, their best face on, of course, but you get the sense talking to Wolf that he really believes it. I think that has a lot to do with the team success is that, that he believes that his guys are capable of the best and they often rise to that occasion. So um, I, yeah, I had a couple of conversations with him and I had the, you know, fortune of being in these press conferences over the season. That was another thing, just kind of pulling out little details. Um, you guys were talking, a trivia question on your show was like, what song was playing at the, the press at the, at the city hall or whatever. Um, and I, it, it was funny because I was thinking so many things never made it in the story that I collected notes on. Like I was looking at, uh, I took a screenshot of, I like asked Siri, what was song was playing when they clinched the playoffs that, that night. Um, I'm, I'm not, I didn't go back and look at it to tell you what I meant to do, but it was Carol G and I, I don't, I didn't know that artist before. Um, so, uh, now I have some Carol G on one of my playlists in honor of Austin FC's playoff clinch. <laughs> That's a little complicated cause she is engaged to an FC Dallas player. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Cause That's that was juicy. Legit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I was like, that, why does Carol G all of a sudden show up in Frisco all the time? And somebody informed me on that. It was like, there was a reason why. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's, that's juicy. No, I had no idea. Uh, not an artist I was familiar with. I guess I should have been as, a, as, as you alluded to, I've written about music a lot, but I didn't know her, but that was bumping for sure. Um, that was a long wait for that press conference that night. Um, <laughs> we were, we were in that little fishbowl forever before they finally all came out of the locker room. So you mentioned not being able to fit everything into this story. And I know that you had mentioned to me before that one thing you kind of wanted to fit in but weren't able to was how the club handled the whole Cecilio Dominguez scandal. Um, can you tell us anything that you learned about any of that by talking to to some of the the technical staff and front office and players? Yeah, and and they talked very carefully around this too, obviously, I think for legal reasons. But I, I was impressed in the moment. I wrote I, This is another small story I did along the way this season. I wrote a story about that. You can find on austinmonthly.com as well, um, just about how they handled the scandal. But um, I, I think that it was so impressive. This is something that could have derailed any franchise just in terms of morale or taking attention away of what you want to do on the pitch. And, you know, they handled it so, so impressively, not, not, only that, but also the fact that they they dealt with something that um, I think we need to have firmer stances around, you know, and and so it was what they did was impressive. But I think what was cool to me in doing these interviews is that there is this player council that is elected by the team. Um, they were still a little bit, uh, you know, hush hush about exactly who's on it. Um, but uh, I think the phrase to me from Josh was you can probably guess. So, you know, some of the leaders on the team, probably Brad and. Um, I would assume Diego, you know, but anyway, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I can't say actually I'm speculating, but um, anyway, this, this council, uh, you know, was consulted as soon as news broke. Um, they were pulled into a meeting with, with, you know, management and leadership and they had this open conversation, this frank conversation. Um, and then any concerns were addressed um, and they made team psychologists available, available to any player who needed it. So, you know, I, I got the sense that that they really empower their players. And that that's something, again, that I wish I could have fleshed out a little bit more in this story, um, how much I think that the the buy-in came from camaraderie on the team. Um, this, is a, this is a squad who went through a tough season in season one. And I think also kind of share the fact that they all came here together. Um, I, I, I couldn't get anyone to co-sign that, which maybe is another reason it didn't come through. They were like, maybe everyone I asked was like, well, maybe, <laughs> um, they're, they, you know, they wouldn't psychoanalyze themselves for me. I was, they, uh, they said it was a possibility, but I just think when you take a group of people and you bring them in from all over and, you know, there's something special they share. Um, it's different from having a long running established team and bringing in one guy. Um, everyone's new, if that makes sense. Um, I, I think it almost lends itself to, to everyone pulling together and, and understanding that everyone's new and everyone needs camaraderie. Um, kind of like a secret weapon, you know, that, that might seem like a, a detractor. And I think in season one, it probably was because lack of familiarity is a detractor in some ways. But then once you build on that chemistry in season two, I think it, it made them a really tight knit squad. Um, one thing that, uh, Brad talked about is everyone always, eating together. And even if there were multiple tables or whatever, when they went out to eat, it was easy to move from one table to another without a lot of tension. So, you know, they eat players move amongst each other easily. Um, it, it just spoke to the camaraderie of the team. And I think that's one of the intangible things you hear about intangibles in sports all the time. And one of those things that's happening in the locker room that we don't see that creates a chemistry on the field that produces results. Yeah. I think that goes to show, 
how important leadership from guys like Drewsi is because it could be very easy for a superstar like him to like not go out of his way to to be friends with or help out some of the other folks on the team. If if he were just only hanging out with the other Argentinian dudes and kind of keeping to himself, that could set a culture through the rest of the group. But from all accounts, he's gone out of his way to make sure that didn't happen. And so that stuff is is really important. You don't see it on the field, but um, I think the results of it do come through on the field and in how the team performs overall. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's exactly right. Everyone talked about what a, you know, really everybody is is so welcoming. Um, every player that came into Gabrielson uh, made a mention of that, you know, being accepted by the team right away. Um, I think that's been clear. And to your point, you're just recalling Drew's humility. I mean, he he's the most humble guy, just very reserved. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about him in the offseason too. And, and I think that's an interesting question. I mean, I think Austin FC, back to the point about the moves they've made, I mean, they could probably, there's probably a move to be made there that might net the team a lot of money and Drew C might be playing for a bigger team. Um, and it seems like he is, I, I don't know, I can't say what's in his head, but it seems like he values his his time here. Now, I mean, that's not the end, you know, the ultimate decision. Something could come along that's an offer too good to refuse, but I, I did get the impression spending time with him that he really values the opportunity here. He did not have the role he wanted in Russia before he came here. And, and he was also vocal about that. That's something that's mentioned in there. You know, he wasn't getting the minutes he wanted. And so I think that he's a guy who loves to play the game. <laughs> and I wonder if he's not, I don't know anything about this, but this is just me saying this, but I wonder if he would be reluctant to make a move that might result in less play time. Um, yeah. I think he probably wants to play, but that's a guess. So before we let you go and no pressure if we've covered everything, but is there any other, any other little tidbits that you wanted to highlight or any other things you learned that you thought were super interesting? Uh, I'm trying to think about that question. We hit a lot of it. I probably should have put my own notes about all this in front of me before I did this and I didn't, but um, no, I, I think that, I think we really covered a lot of it. I, I mean, I would encourage everybody to read the story. I think one thing I always forget to say, but I would really like to do this. Austin Monthly is, you know, print journalism is very tough these days. Um, it's, at, you know, hard to print a magazine and, and to, you know, we're doing fine, but it would be, we appreciate your support. So, um, you know, read the story online, buy a copy of the magazine. I, I think that it's like $12 to subscribe to this magazine for a year, which is not a lot of money. Um, so if you like soccer journalism and want to support, um, you know, uh, media outlets that are covering Austin FC, like pick up a copy of the magazine. We'd appreciate that. Um, there's another feature in here about uh, health and wellness, this issue and always great food writing. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's a weird plug. That's probably not what you're expecting for, for this, but I always, no, it's great. <laughs> I always mean to like, you know, obviously I, I appreciate the opportunity to write, write for these magazines that I, the, that I've written for. And so I always forget to actually plug them. So Thank there's Brian, you also had some beautiful photography in the story in the, in this, uh, in this story as well. So thanks. that's I, another reason to go pick up the, the print copy to get some of like the nice Austin FC design and photography. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I, I, such a privilege to be able to do the photos too. And, you know, um, honestly, all these photos, like right place at the right time. It's such a lucky thing. You can go to these events and be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but I did shoot all the photos in the story and, and they came out really nicely. And thanks to Brad and Seba for looking amazing on the opening spread. <laughs> Maybe that's a teaser that will make people go pick it up. There's a full page photos of Brad and Seba as the cover, as they like, uh, 
first spread going into the story. So it's nice. It's nice to look at. They're handsome dudes. <laughs> Love <laughs> All it. right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us again, man. Is there, do you want to plug anything else anywhere folks can find you or any other work you're doing? Uh, no. Yeah. Austin monthly. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Brian C Parker. I'm, I'm on Instagram at Brian C Parker as well. I should post photography way more than I do, but I'm usually neck deep in a story and I can't do the like everyday posting that, that, Instagram requires, but I'm easy to find and, uh, you know, hope to see you out at a match. I, I really appreciate you guys for having me on. I love the show and, uh, I'm just privileged to be here. So thanks to both of you. Thanks a lot, man. I've always enjoyed the chat and the, and the new caps every single time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks one more time to Brian C. Parker for joining us. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and then come find us and continue the conversation at LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX on Twitter, and then also at Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. We'd also encourage you to sign up for the Patreon, where we will be doing some new, uh, new merch coming out soon. Everyone who is a current member will be getting that new merch. We'll also encourage you to visit the Striker website where you can get a 30% discount with the code MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what can folks look out for there? Well, Phil uh, West wrote an article that came out today uh, with who's in right now that talks about the current state of the Austin FC roster. Uh, so if you need a visual representation of some of the things we talked about in terms of positions, what slots are filled, who's international, who's not, Phil's got a really good rundown of that. And I guess the big thing is we expect the club to start the players to report back this week. So I would imagine we should start seeing some more news, some more content of the striker, probably some more content of the club. So like the off season is effectively over. Almost over. It's over. And we're in the 2023 season. I, I mentioned this before, before you we were on, but like the guy who sold me fireworks, apparently is one of the team chefs uh, the other day. <laughs> and he told me that he was going to be back at work today, January 2nd. So somebody's back coaches or somewhat already. So it's, it's time to go. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my god.